Good morning, morning campers. campers. Today's activities include... <laughs> Relax, I'm from the feud. <laughs> uh, lunch today will be disgusting nachos. And to end the night, we will be radicalized into changing the future. So put on your sunscreen, bug spray, and camp uniform as we dive into... Relax, I'm from the future. Sam, relax. Relax. Somebody telling me to relax always makes me feel relaxed. Relax. <sighs> relax, I'm from the future. Marishka Hargate, Sarah. Marishka Hargate, Sam. I'm your camp counselor, Sam. Pro bodybuilder in training and current drag queen. And I'm camp counselor, Sarah. If anybody is recruiting for the job of person with ID willing to buy lottery tickets for them... Boy, am I your girl. <laughs> I am legally a human and I am willing to do some shady shit. Yeah, you have zero bearing upon the future, Sarah. You're great for this. We're here to ask, is it camp? We're diving into popular culture of all kinds to loosely identify what makes something camp. We are not here to be the definitive experts on it, but rather just talk about this often overlooked and frankly queer subgenre. So a little time travel. A little bit of time travel. We are recording this on the last day of the year. You will be hearing this in the f -f -f future. Ooh, it's like we time traveled into your ears. Ooh. Yeah. So this is your pick, Sarah. This is my pick. This was kind of a... A weird journey to get to this film. It's really fun. Um, so this film stars Reese Darby, who you might know from our previous episodes on Our Flag Means Death. And um, about a year... God, by the time this episode comes out, it'll be like a year and a half ago. Um, this film was screening at a film festival in Toronto. 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 Uh, Toronto, um, called the Blood in the Snow Festival, and me and a bunch of my Our Flag Means Death fan and friends were like, oh my god, this is an opportunity to see this new Reese Darby movie that, uh, that's supposed to be really fun. Let's go see it together. Um, so I traveled down to Toronto and saw it, and uh, actually with our editor, Warren Fry, who I don't even know if he'd been on the show at that point. I think he must have. Um, Maybe. I don't know. Mm -hmm. And after the movie, um, it was really cool. Uh, that was the last film of the film festival. And so they were like, hey, we're doing a wrap-up party for the film festival uh, and for this movie. Uh, anyone can come to it. So Warren and I were like, sure, we'll go to a party where we don't know anyone in Toronto. Um and I did, and I was fortunate enough to uh, meet Luke Higginson, who is the writer, director, and editor of this film. And he has just been um, a tremendously warm and open presence. Obviously, a lot of our Flag Mean Death fans are excited about this movie. And, you know, he responds to people. He, uh, he loves to hear people's jokes about it and see people sharing information about, okay, you can see it in this theater. You can see it in this theater. Stuff like that. Um, he, he is just like, 
He's a very chill dude, and I'm not just saying this because he might be listening. <laughs> might be. He definitely is. Hi, Luke. <laughs> Uh, so I immediately after meeting him at the party, when I was heading home from Toronto, I, I messaged him. I'm like, Hey, I have this podcast. Would you ever be interested in being on it? And he said, sure, absolutely. And then at that point I froze up out of fear and and didn't continue. Uh, and then he reached out to me again recently and he's like, Hey, do you want to, uh, to talk? And Fortunately, Relax I'm from the Future had just had its wide release, so I'd had the chance to uh, see it again in a local theater, mm-hmm. and uh, and we did a little interview. Oh, an interview, and not one done by me? What? <laughs> yeah, so I guess it's now a good time to pivot to that uh, interview? Well, I mean, you segued us fairly nicely over to it, so... Uh... I'm sure now's as good a time as any. Do you want the sound, the interview sound? Boodly boop? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Boodly boop us over there. Boodly boop, boodly boop, boodly boop, boodly boop. All right, so hello campers, this is Sarah here. Uh, I am lucky enough to be chatting with Luke Higginson, the writer, director, editor of Relax, I'm From the Future. How are you doing, Luke? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Sarah. Did I miss anything in your roles there? Did you do craft services as well? No, no. I mean, yes, a little bit, but not a lot. Mostly, <laughs> mostly I had great people doing that. Yeah. Uh, uh, writer, director, editor. Uh, uh, that's, 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 that's enough for me, I think. <laughs> yeah. Only doing three jobs at once. <laughs> um, I'm going to open with a question from uh, my co-host, Sam. Uh, mm. He wanted to know if you had like a Mount Rushmore of Canadian talent that you could work with? Let's say uh, money and death is no option. Ooh, money. So like of all time? Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Um, are we talking like and an, any version of talent? Like actors, directors, writers? Oh, yeah. Like oh, man. All right. Um, okay, well, I'm going to cheat and say kids in the hall as one. Uh, totally counts. So yeah, uh, I uh, I actually played uh, young Kevin McDonald in one sketch of Kids in the Hall, <gasps> which I'm is sort of my big my one and only acting role that I got when I had an agent as a kid, uh, which I think is a pretty good single role uh, to get. But yeah, I uh, I wear a curly wig and glasses, and I say to Reg around a campfire. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's actually it's like a meta sketch where they are referencing a sketch they did in their first season. And they look back on it like they were so young back then, but they're all being played <laughs> by children. And uh, so, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, I love those boys. They have a special place in my heart. Uh, so, yeah, I would I would I would love to work uh, work with them. Um, uh, Don McKellar was very big for me. Uh, growing oh, yeah. Up. Uh, uh, Twitch City was like a, a formative TV show for me. And the movie Last Night was a big deal for me when I was young. Um so, yeah, I can't mention last night to Sam because he just starts crying thinking about the ending. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a sad movie, but it's beautiful. Uh, yeah, it's great. Um, uh, I, I I've I've quasi know Bruce McDonald. I, I uh, I'm I'm friends with his former assistant, and I I used to sort of go into the office he worked in a lot. Um, Hardcore Logo is a very important movie to me. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, 
he uh yeah he'd be you know i'd, I'd love to work with bruce that'd be fun he's cool um and then I'm going to cheat. This is a bad. I. I this is a bad answer. I, I should have more prepared answers. But no, I'm going to no, say I that I didn't warn you about this. <laughs> um, but I, for my last uh, last couple of spots, I'm actually gonna gonna go with two that I achieved on uh, on Ooh. Relax, which is uh, I got to work uh, with the great Julian Richings, who is literally uh, was really a Mount Rushmore person for me. I uh, I he plays Percy in my film and I literally recorded a video of myself begging him to be in the movie, uh, and, uh, sent it off to him and, uh, we zoomed and he was uh, the nicest man in the world and he agreed to do the film. And that was a, just a huge, uh, huge thrill for me. He's sort of, uh, uh, a real Canadian legend, Canadian icon to me. Uh, so that was, uh, that was a really big deal. Uh, and then last, I'm going to uh, say uh, my my buddy, Zach Bennett, who also is in my movie and who uh, was uh, uh, has been a Canadian actor for years. He was Felix on Road Davenly. He's been in a, a ton of movies and he is, I think, one of the best actors in the country. And so, wait, uh, oh, my you, God, you didn't know that. No. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> I watched Road to Avonlea all the time growing mm-hmm. up. I did not clue into that. Yeah, no, he's he's Felix, and he's uh, he's the best. He's amazing. Um, he was he was he played the lead in the short film that my feature was mm-hmm. based on, um, and uh, you know I'll put him in every movie I ever make. He's uh, I think he's incredible, and he's he's a good friend of mine too. I love him because in just a short amount of time uh, in the movie, you're like, oh yeah, I know this dude. I've met this guy. Hundred percent. Yeah, he he understands that genre of Canadian uh, very well. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I'm curious to know what sort of is the, the Luke Higginson story? How did you, how did you end up here? What's your super eight in the backyard story? Yeah. Um, I, uh, I did make videos with my friends, like sort of camcorder and we'd, we'd fuck around and, um, and, and sort of do, do whatever and, and play around. But I really, I was a very, uh, insecure and shy kid. So Mm -hmm. I actually came to the idea of directing something pretty late in -hmm. my life. Like when I went to film school, uh, I, I, I always liked writing. I wrote basically all the time, uh, when I was Mm -hmm. young and I'd always write and I, I, I wrote terrible, terrible, scripts and stories and stuff in school uh and uh but when i went to film school i was very interested in writing and i was interested in editing uh Mm -hmm. and that's sort of where i learned to edit and that's where i fell in love with editing and that's sort of my day job that's how i've made my money really uh but i also unexpectedly uh realized that i liked directing i liked uh when there is a uh, uh, what's the word when there is a, a structure in place that has decided that you are the person to make the decisions <laughs> sudden, and like, I'm no, I'm not imposing it on people that don't want to hear it. Uh, suddenly I felt very comfortable, uh, uh, expressing those opinions and it was a real, uh, opening uh, thing for me. And, and I was like, Oh, I actually love this. Uh, and so then that sort of was also a, became a hobby thing. Like I, again, like I said, out of film school, I made a living as an editor pretty quickly, which was great. Uh, and I just sort of did freelance contract work, but that allowed me to, you know, write and make little short films out of pocket and uh, just sort of work on that stuff 
uh, and sort of throw it out into the void and then relax some from the future. The short film I made in 2013 was just sort of one of those, like literally my buddy Zach was in it. Uh, my, my friend Dan, who's an accomplished cinematographer, Daniel Grant, uh, shot it for me. And we did it on a rooftop in one day and it sort of, uh, I half expected it to just sort of disappear into the void like the other films I had done, but it caught on. People liked it. It got into TIFF. I got a lot of positive feedback on it. And, um, you know, uh, uh, when you make something that people like, it, uh, it, it does a lot, does a lot for your self-confidence. And so uh, oh yeah, it's, it's a nice surprise when that happens. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, we, I, I just sort of started expanding it and then sort of, yeah, wrote, I, I had not planned it to be a feature, but I, I then mm-hmm. sort of tried to figure out how it would be and, uh, ended up being something I could actually channel a lot of my uh, uh, anxieties and frustrations and fears into and sort of ended up being quite therapeutic. And then, yeah, wrote the script and uh, sent it to some people, including some producers that uh, I'd worked with as an editor before. And they were like, yeah, I think we can make this thing. We like that we can make it for cheap. So let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, then, then we started moving. I suppose it's one of those things too when you uh ha- are wearing all these hats you you don't start writing now by opening with a giant space battle you're like ugh that's going to be hard yeah i i do think i didn't do this when i was younger but basically since i've been uh a professional editor and i've seen uh how incredibly difficult it is to make something uh, i do think i write from a fairly pragmatic point of view where I, I, I write with the view of, is this makeable? Because uh, I sort of always assume that uh, if I write something, I'm going to be the one to make it. And uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, yeah, I, that's definitely, that's definitely a factor, which maybe is limiting creatively, but I also kind of find it useful to think about in terms of, I like grounded, I, I, my favorite type of story is a fantastical story in a grounded setting. And uh, so that sort of helps. It helps that that's the stories that I like uh, when thinking about sort of making things pragmatically. Uh, You were talking about like the structure of being a director and everyone knowing what the director does. I was actually thinking about structure because you were primarily a writer and editor first. So do you come to things from like a... Uh, a structural point of view or is it uh, is it more vibes based <laughs> um in a lot of ways it's more vibes based i but i i definitely think like an editor i leave the writer mm-hmm. brain i think behind when i'm on set because <laughs> it's so much on a low budget set it, there's so many crazy things going on you you just have to get what you need mm. to get um, and figure out what is working in the moment versus what you wrote down. Like you have to sort of be willing to let stuff go. Um, but I do think like an editor on set. I do. I'm very, very conscious of what we have and how it will cut together. And if it is not enough to cut together right now, what we need to cut it together. Uh, that's sort of, that's a part of my brain I can't turn off. And I actually do think it's useful on set. Uh, to yeah to know do I have it or do I not have it 
And, uh, you know, sometimes the answer is, I don't really have it, but we have to move on. Uh, and you figure <laughs> out something else. But, uh, yeah. I mean, an, an example of, of uh, uh, leaving the writer brain behind was actually when we got uh, Reese Darby to, mm-hmm. to star in the film, which was, a, you know, a huge, huge coup, a, an incredible, incredible stroke of luck. Um, but there was a double factor of, a, he got the script like three weeks before we had to start shooting, um, which was sort of a whole crazy lead up scenario to that. But uh, so he did a really good job uh, memorizing what he could with the time he had. But like, you know, it's impossible to have something solid in that amount of time. And he's one of the most gifted improvisers in the world. One of the funniest people in the world. One of the most gifted, like, making stuff up on the spot people you have. And so those two things changed what the strategy was going to be on set. Like you had to do things to compensate and uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, Take advantage of that. Mm. Um, So like one example, I've given this example before, but like we, the, the original plan was to shoot with one camera uh and we we rejigged everything so that we could actually have two cameras on set most of the time so that we could capture both sides of any given conversation so if reese improv something uh and gave us gold then we actually not only had that moment but we had the reaction to it and we could sort of make it work within a scene and if you know uh if someone didn't have their lines right like right away for some of those like really long dialogue scenes if we needed to we can cut it quickly we can we can sort of cut out those gaps or those spaces in memory uh and and have it work with the flow so it changed the shooting style and it changed some of the plan for the dialogue but you know you on the day you go with what works you go with the thing that you have and the thing that is going to make the film work And the thing I always try to remember is like, nobody's going to see what your plan originally was. Yep. hundred (laughs) percent. That is correct. Yeah. Uh, It's, it's, um, there's a, a, there's actually a, 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 a George Lucas clip that I saw for the first time recently where he, he sort of, he, he talks about it's that. And he sort of like, no one cares what your plan was. And also no one cares how difficult something was on the day or how <laughs> many obstacles you had to overcome to get it. All they see is the thing that they see on the screen. So that's what you have to worry about. Um, and it's true. And that's hard. Like it is, it is, it's, it's tough sometimes to, to sort of hear a response to something in the film and you want so badly to be like, but you don't understand what we were dealing with. Yes. <laughs> it's like, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter to anyone else. Like it's, yeah, it's just the thing you have to accept. Well, leading off of that, I think I read that you shot this in 15 days. Is that right? Yes. Uh, 18 days total, but we only had Reese for 15 days. And uh, he's in almost every scene in the movie. So it was sort of 15 incredibly hectic days with Reese. uh, And then three days of sort of uh, uh, a little bit more calm doing things like exteriors and the couple of scenes without him in them. Uh, Mm -hmm. But yeah, it was uh, it was a fast shoot. So I'm I'm interested in how you sort of, I mean, you've got experience from short films at this point, but how you sort of project manage that 
in your head and managed to keep going throughout the whole thing? Yeah, I mean, I I had incredible help. Uh, I I want to shout out my my first AD, Jeremy Doran. He he's uh, I, I don't know if the film could have happened without him. He's just an absolute genius at scheduling and at uh, sort of knowing the time you're going to need to do certain things. Um, and he's very, very experienced. He's done a lot of features. Um, and uh, he, he is a, a, a real, real get a first, get a good first AD. If you're making a feature is a huge uh, piece of advice I have. Uh, so he really helped. And, you know, I, I have great producers, the people at Wango films. I've, I've worked with them a bunch as an editor and uh, I like them a lot as people. And they were, they were really supportive through the process. So, you know, it helps to have people that, uh, that you like and that, you know, you can, can depend on and vent to. Uh, but, uh, it's also just, you just got to do it. You just got to put your head down and be like, this is what needs to happen on this day. And you have to have like three backup plans for everything. But, uh, yeah, you know, you just, you, you do it, you run and gun it. Uh, I saw the movie again last week, I guess it was. And Thank something you. that I came. <laughs> I was just so glad that I was able to see it in a theater here. Um, the the thing that really hit me again was like the palpable sense of relief you get at the end of this movie. And I know you said that you've talked mm-hmm. and that you worked through some things on this. This is a very hopeful movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which kind of surprised me, honestly, uh, in a way, because uh, it was so. I was working through so much cynicism while writing it mm-hmm. and it, it was never a deeply depressing ending, but there were definitely versions of it that were a little less hopeful, but it never felt right until. Yeah. I, 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 I describe myself as a cynical optimist. Like I, mm-hmm. I think I do ultimately believe that things are going to work out even though I acknowledge that things are pretty bad. <laughs> and uh, I, I think, yeah, I think that's a decently healthy way to go through life. Uh, and uh, I, 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 it only felt right when the film could sort of accept that um, and the film could sort of be that. And um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that that's what people are taking away from it. It's, uh, it, it makes me feel good. Yeah, I uh it's nice to have a story like this where I I was trying to think of like what time travel movies I would compare it to today uh earlier today and I was like I mean kind of the terminator but if I describe this mm-hmm. to people as like the terminator they're not going to understand why. <laughs> there was one one review we got actually that I really liked which was uh uh, uh it's I think it's I'm going to paraphrase it slightly but it was uh uh it's like the Terminator filtered through millennial, millennial anxiety. And it's like, yeah, that's about right. That sounds about right. <laughs> so what sort of, are you a big fan of time travel in general? Or was it just a way to get the, your story there? I am, yeah. I really love time travel stories. I'm, I'm a sucker for them. I'll basically watch almost anything with a time travel element. And I like the hard sci-fi, like sort of super dense stuff and i also like mm-hmm. the goofy stuff I, I i just think it's a very fun you know like lens to talk to to tell stories through to talk about philosophical concepts like it, it is such a 
it's so intrinsically tied to the emotions of like regret and fear and optimism and like it's it's so uh it's such a human desire to want to go back and change things and it's also such a human desire to want to know that things are going to be okay that it's just i just think it's an incredibly fertile sort of genre and i think yeah that's the reason there's so many of them it's just uh it's it never gets old because you can twisted in so many fun ways oh yeah absolutely um to close it out here because i don't want to take up too much of your time um i just want to ask you i know that you are a blankie as well as i that's right uh, yeah if you got to choose one one director for a mini series complete pie in the sky who would you choose Ooh, that's a good one Okay, I'm going to cheat. I'm going to say two. Is that okay? Fair enough. All right. All right. One, um I I'm a my from 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 back in film school before. I'm a big I'm a big Kurosawa head. I really like mm. Kurosawa a lot and I specifically like sort of tied to what we were talking about. Like I think what I love about his films is I think he is he is a cynical humanist. Like I think he is deeply deeply cynical about uh, societal structures and governments and and uh, corporations and and all of that and but he just sort of has a deep love for humanity and a deep love mm-hmm. for people and our our capacity for goodness and I, I I just I find his movies very philosophically satisfying and and happy and I would love to hear them talk about uh, those but they're never going to do him because he's got like a lot of movies and they're in Japanese yeah. uh, and the one that they they might actually do one day that would be a lot of fun for me is um, the British director Alex Cox do you know him? He um, did uh, It's ringing a bell He did uh, Sid and Nancy and Repo Man and Walker oh. Um, oh Walker I've seen Walker I love yeah Walker. Walker's great yeah he he's this he's this sort of like punk British filmmaker who just I really love his aesthetic and his storytelling style and just like his movies are all like weird and messy but like really complicated and cool and uh, uh, I just I, I really like him I think he's uh, I feel like everyone knows Repo Man but I think outside of that he's like pretty underrated and uh I think he'd be a great subject for discussion. Uh, I uh, yeah, I like him a lot. Those are two really interesting comparisons because you've got what looks on the surface very refined and gentle versus, uh, like you say, very punk rock. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's 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 me. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> can I can I ask what yours would be? Oh, uh, I was thinking about this today. I, I at first I went Billy Wilder, but I want to go mm. a little. If if I get to pick anyone, I think I do Preston Sturgis. Oh, it's actually, yeah. It's short. There aren't a bunch of bad films. Sturgis would be great, and they might do Sturgis. I know Griffin likes Sturgis a lot. That would be great. I would be so happy with a Sturgis uh, marathon. I actually marathoned uh, a bunch of Sturgis movies when my child was born, when she was just oh. like a few months, like a couple of months old. And like, that's at a time when like you spend a lot of time often at like two in the morning, three in the morning, just like holding a little blob. Uh, <laughs> and, and uh, they'll only sleep in your arms. So you're just sort of sitting there. And 
uh, I would uh, I watched I watched a lot of Preston Sturges movies. They're very good for that because they sort of they're 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 peppy and they keep you awake and they're fun. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, that's uh, I I love I love those movies. That, that's a great pick. Yeah, it's not something that lulls the adult in the room to sleep. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, I want to thank you so much for your time, Luke. I really appreciate it. And I hope you have a great rest of your holidays. You too. Thank you so much for having me on. It's a great podcast. And I was honored to be asked to be on it. Thank you so much. Thank you again to Luke Higginson for uh, agreeing to be on our weird, dumb little show. And uh, please, if you, before we get into the spoilers for this movie, seek out Relax, I'm from the Future. You will not be disappointed. It's, hmm, oh, hmm. It is, I think, another case of weirdly heartfelt. And Yes, I, I, I was really excited in what your take was going to be, because you knew nothing about this going in. I, I just knew that uh, Canada, um, Reese Darby, Mm-hmm. That's about it <laughs> from the future. I think the trailer I may have seen for it or, or a synopsis I may have seen for it set me up for more of a, is he actually from the future? Is this all just like a delusion thing? And the the film is very quick to assure you that no, this man is legitimately from the future. This is a time travel narrative. There, There's no question of his sanity revolving it. But what I really appreciated it is that it is coming from a very similar place to everything, everywhere, all at once, right? Yeah, yeah. I keep making that comparison in my head, too. They are ultimately, like, very coming from a place of deep, deep sadness to a sense of joy and relief, yeah, not just joy and relief, but it's 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 the looking at the world and finally mm-hmm. coming to a place of uh, it's it's the meme, the two guys on the bus, right? Nothing matters and mm, nothing matters. Everything matters, yeah. Yeah, right? It's and I like this. I really like this. I like that you know, we we've had our weird kind of little period where a lot of movies were dealing with grief. And that's mm-hmm. that's also fine. But after a while, you know, uh, trends change and they move on. And I feel like the trend we're starting to move into now is the, like, okay, stuff is shitty, right? Like, we, we all know stuff is shitty right now, but we got to fucking do something, right? You have to do something. You can't wait for somebody to save you. You have to save yourself, and not in a like in a bootstraps kind of way, like an an Ayn Rand kind of thing. It's absolutely not that kind of thing. It is the man, yeah, shit shit sucks right now. It it kinda does. But it's up to us to, you know, go to each other and help each other make it not suck. And make it not suck for future people. Yeah, um, I'm not going to go too deep in background on this one because it um, we, we have the interview, but this is actually based on a short film that oh. he made. And the short film is basically just the uh, the scene on top of the roof. Okay. And it got some interest. And so he was like, okay, now I have to expand it. And before that, he'd never had any idea about how, like, this was not testing the waters for his feature film this was it was designed to be a short film yeah i think 
I I like this. It is it is a bit morose if you look at it from a, a very cynical point of view. Um, I mean, it's a lot. A lot of the movie is about suicide. Yeah, but but it, it's not just about suicide. It's also just about. You know, it's, it's the, you know, in an infinitely large universe with near infinite time, we're, we're specks of dust. We ultimately don't matter, which makes everything we do matter. Mm-hmm. Right. And I find that, you know, as, as a lot of people might find that very dark or depressing or something, I find that insanely hopeful. Of just... When I'm in the right mood, I find that insanely yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want, I want that to be my viewpoint at all times. Yes. Yeah, and I think it is important. I think this this radicalization is important. Yeah, whatever, whatever um, look that may may take in in your world. Uh, like I know, I used to. Uh, so I used to get per, uh, analysis paralysis over uh, charity. Mm. It was a big thing for yes. me, where if somebody would be like, hey, can you give to this charity or, you know, blah, 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 you know, any number of things, I would I would lock down because I'd think, oh, God, if I give to this charity, I'm not giving to other charities. And those things also deserve attention, right? I believe that, you know, puppies deserve homes just as much as chicken deserve free range and and vaccines deserve to be given to people and yada 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 you know just all these things and i would just lock up and go like i can't give any money because i'm so Mm -hmm. worried about not giving enough money right Mm -hmm. and then eventually i just got to a place of like i need to choose something (laughs) I, i just i need to do something and like i i eventually figured you know what what very much matters to me and what do I feel like doesn't get enough attention? So when I when I have extra money that I can throw about, I will give money to like um, uh, homeless black trans women in the South because I think they are mm-hmm. some of the most at-risk people in the world, period. And you know what? They're people. They deserve to be peopling about as everyone else does. <laughs> So you say it and I just pictured like a Muppet jouncing along. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately with that, like I, I, I just had to choose a thing that I was like, you know what? I am comfortable giving my, my money to this. And it's not saying that other things don't deserve my attention, but it's saying that this one needs my attention. <laughs> and that really helped to, to squeeze my brain into a happy box for a while. <laughs> It's just like, you're doing something. Get over it. Applying the people's elbow to your own brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about this more as, it, as we go through the film. Because, uh, mm-hmm. boy, howdy, there are, there are parts of this movie that I'm just like, oh, God, this was made for me, right? <laughs> this was speaking directly at me. It's so funny me. you say that. Because uh, Luke, in our interview, brought up both... Hardcore logo, which Julian Richings is in. Yep, love that. Mm-hmm. And last night, and I literally said to oh, him, "I can't God. mention last night to Sam because the last <laughs> scene makes him cry." But that last scene that always makes you cry is very much about how do we choose joy in a world where our joy doesn't matter. Oh my God, we are never covering last night. 
<laughs> just, Guys, just, it's a great movie. It's a it's, great movie. It's like an independent Armageddon. Oh. Um, no, it's, it's and uh, there. There was a remake of it recently, right, with Steve Carell and Kira Knightley seeking a friend for the oh, end of the is, world. Is that a remake of Last Night? If if the filmmakers do not acknowledge that it is a remake, oh, uh, uh, okay. Like I gotta sit there and go. I'm real sorry, but. <laughs> But you swap out these two for Sandra Oh and Don McKellar, and this is last night. You just happen mm-hmm. to focus it on two people out of everyone else. That's that's the only gotcha. difference. This is the exact same. Fu- so I, I was sitting there going like, okay, you know, it's going to be a fun comedy. And then as the movie kept going, I was like, this is a remake of last night, and I can feel myself crumbling already. Oh, no. <laughs> and guess what, Sarah? <laughs> It ends almost exactly the same way, except kind of a little bit worse, because... Oh, no. (laughs) Spoilers for this movie. Um, Essentially, the whole world is going to end because meteors are going to hit it. The final Mm -hmm. scene is Kira Knightley and Steve Carell lying in bed, just looking at each other. No sex, nothing like that. They're just sort of with each other at the end of it, and you just hear these very distant, like, thumping sounds happening. Oh. And the movie just ends. And you're like, motherfucker, you did this to me again. <laughs> Whoever the fuck you are, I'm going to track you down. <laughs> if if that's your kind of thing, great. I love that for you. I cannot handle that plot a third time. <laughs> I just, I am yeah. always a mess. <laughs> I'm just picturing you walking into like Killers of the Flower Moon and somehow it manages to be a remake of it and you're like, God damn it, they got me again. <laughs> oh, what's this? It, uh, Morbius 2. Oh, Morbius 2. Oh no, how did this happen? <laughs> it was Morbin time. It was Morbin time. <laughs> you're just crying in your car in the parking lot. Somebody's like, are you okay? It was Morbin time. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about Relax, I'm from the Future. <laughs> Let's talk about Relax, I'm from the Future. A movie that, while while we've been talking about, you know, fairly depressing kind of things, um, you know, it's still a lot of fun, it's still funny, and it's an enjoyable watch. Yeah. Um, I, I really recommend it, guys. You can, uh, you rented it via Amazon Prime, is that right? Mm-hmm. It's on the internet. Yeah. Yeah, you should be able to uh, rent or buy it digitally anywhere fine DVDs are sold. Yeah, you know, those DVDs that aren't physical. The magic ones that Mm -hmm. pop into your TV and then disappear. Yeah. Anyway, the movie begins with a title card. Today, it's an overcast day as some kids are playing street hockey. Hey, it's Canada. (laughs) (laughs) This movie does not try to hide that it's Canadian. No, thank God. Like, you know, God bless Canadian filmmakers never trying to hide how Canadian things are sometimes. So this strange sound happens just over a hill. And a man in a full purple bodysuit, like head to toe, no skin showing, runs at these kids and they scatter. (laughs) Now, of course... When a strange man in a full purple bodysuit runs at a bunch of children, there's got to be a concerned parent somewhere who immediately steps out of the house to confront him, calling him a pederast, which 
you know, kind kind of uh, kind of in awe that we actually have the word pederast being used as opposed to the usual pedophile. Very pederast different. is always a funny word, though. Yeah. Yes, it is. Absolutely. And just as the purple man, not not the David Tennant purple man, but man man in purple. Uh, grimace. R- yeah, Grimace. As Grimace rips off part of his mask to say, relax, I'm from the fu-. The parent punches him in the face. Well, he makes his way over to a convenience store where he manages to uh, write a note on some garbage explaining his predicament in a little voiceover. He is Casper. He is not a friendly ghost. He is a time traveler. And he has traveled back in time to now. He manages to find enough money to place a bet, but has no context for how to get to the winning part of placing a bet is. (laughs) So this is already starting to fill us in on like, okay, he's a time traveler, but some of the problem with time travel is while you may know the outcome of things, you don't necessarily know how to get to said outcome. Right. Some details are preserved. Other details are not like, like we were talking before about the, um, the Roman concrete. Mm, Yes. Right. How the recipe called for water and people were just like, well, that's, it's weird. It doesn't work. And the Romans were like, well, of course we didn't write down salt water. We thought everybody would know that. It's like nowadays when a recipe calls for a stick of butter, people in the future are going to be baffled by that. Yeah. How long is a stick? How thick is a stick? Like, are we talking, like, was there a butter tree that you had to break it off of? No, but there are butterflies. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, the the funny thing about this is just how bad a time traveler he is, which is a concept that we haven't really seen in movies before. Yeah, yeah. I I know you, you either see, like, hyper-competent time travelers who are fully aware of the effect that they can have upon the universe. And then you also have, like, your scam artist time travelers who are like, I'm just going to make a quick buck or fuck with the future very rarely do you get incompetent time travelers right like marty mcfly is is competent in what he's doing he understands that he has time traveled and what he's got to do but you know he's he's figuring things out as he's going in this case uh he has specific things but a lot of context is missing yeah, if you guys have ever seen or read Good Omens, it reminds me a lot of uh, of Agnes Nutter in that. Oh, the nice and accurate prophecies of Agnes Nutter, witch. Comma, witch, yes. Mm-hmm. So Casper makes his way to a library where he quickly tries to take in as much information to his immediate time in order to try and get more context. Of course, uh, because he spends so much time there, he gets kicked out of there for trying to sleep. And also for ripping up the books, because he he has no materials on him. He doesn't have a pen. He doesn't have paper. He's writing stuff on pizza boxes. He's just got this one suit he traveled in. Mm-hmm. So now we cut to Holly in her amazing Yay! apartment. True star of the movie. True protagonist of the movie. The secret hidden gem of this movie is Gabrielle Graham. I love her so much. I this. love this performance. I love her character. It's... 
it's very relatable very very relatable but also it's the right level of fuck you continuously through the film it's Mm -hmm. just that that fuck you changes how fuck you it is if that makes any sense (laughs) she's always punk She's we'll always punk. Yeah, she is always punk. The best. She's just not always necessarily interested in overthrowing the system, like the way it's implied she used to be. Yeah, it's clear before because her her friend slash roommate Alana shows up from a protest slash rally where she's just been maced by the cops. Fuck cops, and uh, she kind of scolds holly for not being there she's like we you have to show up that's it's part of the process to changing things and holly's very much in the position of i tried that i went to the rallies i went to the meetings i went to the protests and nothing has changed there's no point in me doing this because i don't make a difference hey it's the theme of the movie (laughs) gabrielle graham is so charming in this and so winning even when she's like deep in the early in the movie uh very nihilistic um i hope that she is exactly as successful as she wants to be because like this girl has got it all she has such star quality like Mm -hmm. we we were talking about that on various films we've talked about there are some characters some actors who when they walk into a scene you're like well fuck everyone else in this scene you're here right the the michelle pfeiffer of it and gabrielle graham very much has this kind of energy of this scene is being made better even if you're just (laughs) sitting in the background like reacting to things as opposed to anything else just she's so good she's so cool she's so cool yeah, Reese Darby doesn't need her help. My my big takeaway from this movie is people should see Gabrielle Graham and give her work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, Canada. Like, here is one of our future stars. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, Holly and Alana decide to go get nachos. Well, the nachos super suck. <laughs> so Holly <laughs> decides to give them to a nearby homeless person who happens to be our time traveler casper casper and as he's eating them as this may be the first food he's eaten in a while beyond a little sandwich he bought at a convenience store he recognizes the band on the t-shirt she was wearing now when i first saw this t-shirt i thought it said Mm -hmm. puff not pup because you can't quite (laughs) see it this is really important because there's a big indie wrestler called puff p-u-f oh and He's he's kind of great because he is very much a a fat person. He is, you know, obese. Mm-hmm. But his wrestling character embraces that so heartily. Like it's just it's all part of what he does and he's he's got a pretty decent following on the indie wrestling scene for being just so unapologetically who he is in terms of his his body and his appearance and i'll, I'll send you a picture because you'll be like oh i love this guy already i'm so sorry you got all worked up over what what is a real band pop yeah yeah but you know then i also you know listen to some of pop because actual band pop mm-hmm. they're fun i feel like they're having a big like they're they're just about to break through. I, I feel like I see pup everywhere. 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of it's kind of cool. So yeah, it's it's actual band pup, and Reese Darby, yeah, Casper, points it out and goes, "Oh, I know them. Oh, are they now? Are they are they like in right now?" She's like, "Yeah, yeah, of course." And it's like, "Wow, I oh, I'd love to see them." She ends up inviting him to the show that they're playing that night, and he has a great time. He does so many drugs. Some drugs. Some drugs. I said so many drugs. Oh, so many. Oh yeah, that guy's so cute. He looks like a cartoon. Yeah, he he's kind of he's kind of cartoony. Puff, Puff is a real sweetie. So yeah, he he has a fun as fuck time and does a ton of cocaine with Holly, as he continues to drop these hints about the future that he claims to be from, such as saying that Pup is great now, but uh, in a couple of years they'll be super shitty. <laughs> Just as musically, not not as people. And also saying like, wow, in 30 years time, all these drugs are, are legal. Don't worry. You're going to be fine. It's just, you know, they all went away before I got a chance to use them. So I'm going to use them now. We're, we're starting to get more of a picture of what the future may or may not be. Because still, mm-hmm. stop, still up until this point, we're not 100% sure that he is in fact from the future. Right. There's there's nothing really truly pointing out like, oh, definitely future guy. But that'll come. Yeah. It's not like a safety, not guaranteed thing where like the whole film is is here, isn't he? Um, Right now, she's just sort of like entertaining him because she thinks he's a lot of fun to be around. And he is. Yeah. Yeah. So. He explains that you can only go backwards in time. You can't go forwards, other than the usual way, the long way. Mm -hmm. And they end up waxing poetic and kind of come to the thesis of the film through it. She says, it feels like too much work to do something that would actually matter. And he comforts her by asking, what if I told you everything works out and you don't need to feel bad? So... She asks him to prove it, and so in exchange, he wants to be able to crash on her couch. And I like this thesis for the film. Mm-hmm. I I really do. This, like, you know, it feels like too much work to change the world. It feels like too much work to make an impact. And, like, how do I... How do I get up and do it? Right? Yeah. And I can definitely see that. And I definitely have felt that. Um, I think basically, so it was around this time last year that like, I I just got to a place because, okay. All right. I'm going to segue into some personal stuff if that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So at the beginning of the Pandingle, uh, I, well, just before it, I was still doing pro wrestling training and I <laughs> felt like I was getting pretty good at it. You know, I was like, oh, I'm so close. I know, I, I know I'm so close to finally breaking through into like being able to get on shows and being good enough to be hired out to places and great. And then what happened in the first like three, four months of the pandemic was that I got a blood clot in my leg and my doctor had it checked out and I took medication for it. But while I was on the medication, I couldn't work out, which I had been doing because I was like, oh yeah, we'll be back at work any day now and I'll be back to wrestling training. So I want to stay in relative shape. 
And so mm-hmm. I couldn't work out. And that, you know, was like, all right, fine, cool. I won't do that. And, you know, started to get out of shape. But I'm like, you know what? Two months not working out, not so bad. And finally, my doctor sends me for these tests to check to see if I have this thing called Factor V Leiden. And Factor V Leiden is essentially a blood clotting disorder. It's genetic and essentially means that I am in my current state seven times more likely to just have a stroke uh, than a regular person. That's not good. That's really not good. And so my doctor basically had to sit me down. He is like, you can't wrestle anymore. Because you're taking bumps over and over and over again, right? And you're just bruising your body internally, and any of that could become a blood clot and travel to your brain, yada, 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 right? So I sunk into a depression. Not yeah. not, not, a, not like a big, horrible, bad one, but just enough to be like, oh, yeah, I'm fine. I've come to terms with this thing that's changed my life. And, uh, no, I kind of hadn't, but I just let that keep going for three whole years where I didn't work out and I didn't train and I just sort of ate my feelings <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it, it sucked. It super sucked because it was just like, well, the thing I wanted to do, I can't do anymore. So yeah. why bother? Right. And that just got worse and worse and worse until finally last year, I just hit like a rock bottom place of like, well, I'm not living anymore. I'm dying. Like, I'm just, I'm just letting myself die at this point. And I got very overweight, the heaviest I'd ever been. I didn't even check the scale, but I knew I was the heaviest I'd ever been. And it was finally like, well, fuck it. If I'm dying, I might as well like do something right i gotta i gotta do something which is when i called my wrestling coach back up and talked to him about bodybuilding again which is why i am now on the path i am on at the moment and it's all and it makes you so happy it makes me so happy because now i finally have this thing that i'm not i may not be changing the world but i'm changing my world right Mm -hmm. and I've given myself a purpose. I I want to leave a lasting legacy outside of this podcast because I love I love the podcast, but you know I also want to. <laughs> uh, yeah, we, al- we are not uh, <laughs> we are not international champions of anything. No, 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 no. Uh, but I was like, I would like to, if I die when I die in the future, because yeah. If I die. If I die. You never know, Sarah. I've been immortal so far. (laughs) I always say I might be immortal. I haven't died yet. We haven't died yet. Yeah. I was just like, I... The science isn't in. (laughs) I want to leave a mark on the world and, you know, go back Mm -hmm. to one of my earlier loves, which was bodybuilding. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go all the way with this. I'm just going to say fuck it at this point because the other option is just doing nothing. And that was kind of fun for a while, but then it stopped being fun. Yeah. So I get this movie, <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. I, I I know, long segue to get to the point, but the thesis of this movie of, like, I tried and nothing happened, but ultimately the movie's going to come around to, you gotta try. Mm-hmm. Anyway, whoo, my long segue. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, Sam. Our time is up now.
Um, you sure? You don't have any? I'm sure you that don't have a patient. That would be 175 dollars. Um, can I pay through it through my insurance, please? Does does my work no? This? We don't take your insurance. <laughs> please, <laughs> I can't cut into my <laughs> candle budget. <laughs> please, my family is dying. <laughs> so anyway, back to the movie. Uh, Casper takes Holly to a diner. It's the middle of the night. It's like 2 a.m. It's Nobody's there. And he points out a server in the di- diner, Percy, who is played by Julian Richings, who we've talked about on the pod before. And I love seeing him. I love, I, I just love seeing this guy work. He's so cool. You guys might not recognize his name, but you'll definitely recognize his face. He's been in everything. Oh my God. Has uh, you ever see Supernatural? Yeah, he was death in Supernatural. A great, great guy. Literally, I saw him at the party and I was like, I can't be cool and talk to Julian Richings. <laughs> oh, oh, it's such a shame. I, I feel like he'd be a cool guy. He probably knows a lot oh, yeah. about poetry. I, something about him, like, says there's, there's like, poems that he likes. Anyway. So Julian Richings is working there at the diner. Yeah. And Casper is absolutely starstruck by him. And asks him about his... Much like me. (laughs) Yeah. And asks him about his sketches. Turns out in the future, Percy's sketches are a huge deal as a cartoonist whose work was only discovered posthumously. But it kind of left an impact on the world. So Holly asks Casper how the time travel works on its effect upon the fabric of reality. You know, asking like, well, what about paradoxes? Aren't you doing like a butterfly effect thing and and changing the future and stuff? And he explains that basically the way time travel works in this movie is that the fabric of reality is just kind of like a big mushy glob. You can change all the little details as much as you want, but the overall effect is going to stay more or less the same because it'll just like go, oh, yeah, you... You had a second sandwich that day. Whoop-de-doo, right? It doesn't change this thing. In other words, it's not a strict uh, line of uh, cause and effect, but more a big ball of of wibbly-wobbly, timey-wimey stuff. Stuff. (laughs) Yeah, except he says it congeals a lot. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He then has her watch out the window and think of the word balls balls and after a few false starts it suddenly begins to rain like those ball pool balls from the sky hallelujah it's this this moment in the movie was where i kind of went like oh this is a little magical this is this is delightful and he explains that like the explanation behind this is is very boring like a, a, a plane passing overhead accidentally lost control of one crate of these balls and they just began mm-hmm. raining all over toronto but it's such a well-remembered event that clearly in his future he's like yeah we talk about this still and but at the same time percy goes outside seeing these balls fall from the sky and instead of like instilling a sense of wonder in him, it fucks him up. <laughs> yep. Yep. So Casper gets to crash on Hol- uh, at Holly's place because now she's convinced. She's like, "Yeah, nobody could have predicted that. You- you've got something going on." 
And he continues to explain how time travel works in the film. Turns out some of the info he has is sports statistics for the next 20 years. And he convinces her that the best way to use that information is not to win big, but to win consistently, like little amounts Mm -hmm. over time. Just lay low, lead a life of luxury. Don't make an impact on the world, but, you know, live happily. And she is all for it. Once again, if any time travelers are looking for this uh, type of patsy, I'm your girl. I cannot stress how much I legally exist. (laughs) Uh, The only thing is she cannot change the world with her winnings. And Mm -hmm. she cannot make an impact upon the world at all. Holly asks him if there will be any other travelers coming to which he says, I doubt it. Smash cut to a woman lying in bed with a face bikini on and a little device next to her beeps on says hello, causing her to go wide eyed and angry. This is I love this actress in the role so much. She is great. This is exactly the energy that I, I, I needed for this role. She got the, the information correct. She reminds me of the bad guy in um, in the comic book Sex Criminals, who they just refer to as Kegel Face. Yeah, Kegel Face. Yeah. Oh, she'd be a perfect Kegel Face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and it's a very similar role. I, I want to skip ahead briefly to where we sort of learn Doris's um, motivation, because we see her with her therapist talking about um, Spanish nobles sent to the New World. Mm, yes yeah it's it's exactly that kind of bureaucratic energy coupled Mm -hmm. with a sense of superiority on top of it right she has a job she's living very comfortably and she knows she's also doing very much the wrong thing but she's cool Mm -hmm. with it because she gets to live comfortably but the thing that really, t- I, I really love that monologue where she talks about, you know, people back then couldn't travel across the ocean back and forth. You went to the new world and that was it. Um, and sure, they lived a comfortable life in the new world, but they could never, ever go home. And for somebody who never has any reason for you to sympathize with her at any other point in this movie, I found that tremendously tender. Yeah, for sure. She... It's, it's never, uh, she's never an unmitigated monster. No, she truly believes that what she's doing is for the best. Yes. Yeah. And there is a certain air of sympathy that comes with the fact that she is basically, she is trapped in the past by Mm -hmm. herself, just being essentially a, a door watchman. Yeah. For any time travelers like Casper who are coming through and are going to destroy things for her. So this is what happens. A portal opens up in a scrapyard and the woman, Doris, greets the time traveler asking him stasis or static to which he has no reply. And she points the little device at him and turns him into dust. Yep. Later at dinner, when her hologram husband is, uh, trying to ask her about her day or whatever her device goes off again and soon she is chasing down another time traveler asking the same question and then dusting her as well and then finally 
at a sad birthday dinner with hologram husband, the device goes off a third time, causing her to <laughs> angrily throw the cake across the room in fury. <laughs> now, in this instance, she does not catch up with the time traveler, who is Casper in this case, and instead is stopped by the parent from before, who goes on to tell her, hey, I don't want any pet arrests around children in this area. He'll get what's coming to him. She quickly uses the device on him and finds out that his existence means nothing to the timeline. So she dusts him as well. Boom. Gone. Yep. Sorry, anti-pedophile dad. Yep. Three months later, Holly is living comfortably, showing off to Alana her team winning and causing her to win another big cash thing from her bookie. Because she's gotten real good at this. She says she has like an elaborate network of lesbians <laughs> who are all working together to uh, to sort of uh, team out these lottery winnings so it looks less suspicious. Yeah, which is genius. Casper, however, has been spending a lot of time at old folks' home, making friends and basically inheriting their stuff that they can't pass on for whatever reason, right? Either their their kids don't want it or they have nobody to send it to. So he's kind of become like the de facto inheritor. And these things are like pornographic playing cards or, you know, handwritten journals on uh, botany. There's one that's like a roadmap of Southern Ontario from the 70s, stuff like that. Like stuff that genuinely most people would not be very interested in. But to him, these are all extremely exotic because nothing has lasted to his future. Mm-hmm. Well, he's made friends with a woman called Betty and he tells her about the future and being very excited by being able to get tangible first person written works, right? He's basically explaining that, yeah, for for whatever reason that I can't explain to you right now, uh, a lot of this stuff just doesn't make it to the future. And so he's doing what he can to preserve all of these things because mm -hmm. who knows? It could help people out. So he says goodbye to Betty, but it already feels better, bittersweet as she is a dying old lady. And so he meets up with Holly at the diner once again, where he's been keeping a careful watch on Percy for the last few months. Holly brings him a portable x-ray machine for his plan. <laughs> Don't know how she got this, but sure. And she also gives him a prepaid phone and a big chunk of cash. She absolutely loves... Canadian dollars, baby, yeah. not hiding it. She loves this life that she's leading now. Because she's like, fuck yeah, it's hedonism of the yin-yang. And he's like, cool, I love that for you. I just need you to do one thing. Tomorrow, can you deliver this letter to Betty? And he tells her it's imperative that she delivers it before noon. And everybody in the audience goes, fuck. Just, <laughs> just like, yeah, it's, it's, it's not a, a case of bad writing. It's just like, you know exactly where this is going to go. Yep. So Casper hops a cab to the middle of nowhere and texts someone that he's coming with cash. And it turns out in the middle of the woods, he finds chuck who is the guy that basically owns this land and he's just this is uh zachary bennett he played the casper role in the short film oh okay all right welcome back 
he's just drinking on a lawn chair in the middle of winter, and uh, he is very much that conspiracy theory guy that a lot of us know. <laughs> it's so funny you said that because I said in the interview with Luke, like, oh, as soon as he comes on screen, I know exactly that type of guy. And he's like, yeah, we all know that guy. Yeah, we all know that guy. That guy who's just like, wait until they get microchips in us, brother. It's like, yep, man, like, your conspiracy theories are a bit wild, but you're a pretty personable dude, so I can't be angry at you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is genuinely impressed by the fact that he can't find Casper anywhere. Like, in terms of... Any records, online footprint, you know, footprint in the world, period. He's just like, how did you get off the grid? How, like, this is crazy. You got to show me how it, uh, you do it. And Cass was like, no, I, I need you to be on the grid so I can be off the grid. <laughs> so in this bunker he has in the middle of this forest... Casper begins vacuum sealing all the shit he's been collecting and buries it in holes to be dug up later by future people. This is how he's I love this it. bunker set. It looks like so much fun. He's just like filled it with whatever junk he can find. Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of like, it's more like the minutiae of everyday life that he's preserving rather than like, mm-hmm. ah, yes, here's the theory on elemental like how how we work a large hadron collider no fuck that we don't yeah. need that crap you know give, give us you know like a pool table yeah yeah i think there's like a foosball table there's some cool neon lights it's like it's like your buddy with the cool basement uh in your teens it's kind of like that yeah and it's clear he's also just preserving things he likes because, mm-hmm. you know, he's listening to music. He's ultimately just a nerd. He's just a nerd. Just going like, hey, maybe people in the future will like this stuff. And yeah. that that's kind of what we do. Maybe somebody out there will like what we're doing. <laughs> so Chuck shows back up in the middle of the night while Casper is wiring up a bunch of microwaves. And he explains that he is using nuclear semiotics. So essentially, he, he, he tells him, like, it's communicating with the future without using language by creating small bursts of radiation in areas that should not have radiation coming through in these organized small bursts. That way, people in the future this can... This is not a place of honor. No great deeds are commemorated here, etc. Yeah, exactly. It's It's, hey... Maybe you guys want to look here because I did some weird fuckery around here. Oh, and then hopefully people in the future are digging it up going, oh, cool. Look at all this shit. Mm-hmm. Isn't it neat? Wouldn't you think his collection's complete? <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Well, Percy wakes up in his apartment very much in the like, oh, look, this man is sad and alone and he is surrounded by his sketches. Like, it's everywhere in this apartment. Mm-hmm. And he pulls a gun out from a little tin he has. And you're like, ooh, what's going to happen here? The same morning, Casper wakes up and is excited about the day. He's, he's just like, oh, yeah, today's the day. Awesome. He's going to get up and do stuff. Holly then wakes up and realizes it's almost noon and rushes out the bed to deliver the message. Um, one thing I want to say here yes. real quick is uh, that 
Holly, I don't think we've said it explicitly yet, uh, is gay and is only ever with women. Um, and the movie makes it very clear. And it is also not traded salaciously in any way, which is kind of fucking rare. Uh, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I really appreciated that there was no will they won't they between her and Casper like that is so mm-hmm. so incredibly off the table like Casper doesn't have a love interest there's no there's nothing about that happening in the film and it's just so nice so nice yes. to not be constantly burdened with ah oh, you know everything's going to be we're fine in the end and everyone will fall in love I mean, as you and I, who are male-female friends, uh, who are also, <laughs> we're like two plugs that don't fit together. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, we are both huge fans of romance, but also, like, no, we can have friends. Yeah, we are loud friends. People, <laughs> friends are great. I am a European plug, and you are a Canadian plug. <laughs> yes, that's exactly it. Yeah. It's not even like the genders <laughs> are on the same planet. Yeah. <laughs> What do I do with this prong? I don't understand it. <laughs> I guess I could, like, force it in, but that's going to cause a fire. Yeah, yeah. Oh, gosh, would it cause a fire. <laughs> so, Percy sets himself up on a rooftop and records himself talking about the little guy he keeps sketching. This monologue becomes very dour quickly as he's mm-hmm. he's come to believe, again, the thesis of the film, that nothing matters. No one matters, right? He believed that sketching this little superhero caricature that he's been doing for decades, he thought, oh, maybe this will make me someone. Maybe this will be my impact on the world, but it's led to nothing. And so he's just like, well, mm-hmm. that's that's it then. This is... This is the end. I, I tried, and uh, there's no point trying anymore, so I'm just going to end everything. He pulls out the gun, and before he does en- anything, Casper tackles him. To quote a great philosopher, he tried so hard and got so far, but in the end it didn't even matter. Yes. Mm-hmm. Holly gets to the retirement home too late. Betty has died. Yep. So she opens the letter and sees that it is from Casper, explaining to Betty that today is the day that she dies and Holly panics burns the letter as it was meant to be destroyed anyway and this is kind of the beginning of her radicalization of yeah I know he's been feeding me information about the future these sports statistics and stuff but he genuinely knew when this woman was going to die and he told me to get there before it and now she's really starting to believe he's from the future Well, Casper managed to get the gun away from Percy, explaining to him that his works go huge after he dies and that he actually does make an impact on the world, right? People find comfort in his art. Uh, It becomes a big meme. It's on t-shirts. It's in books. it's, It's just a cultural moment that does, in fact, make an impact on the world. However, he is not here to save Percy. Nope. He needs him to die. But he wanted him to know how much his work mattered to the world and also to try and learn as much about uh, from him as possible so that when he dies, you know, there is a record of him having existed. 
This is like the saddest version of Vincent and the Doctor, now that I think about it. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> it's very bleak, because Casper doesn't want to change the future. He, he doesn't believe the future can be changed. Mm-hmm. He, he's very much in the position of, well, the future will just keep trudging along, whether or not I try. Yeah. So, I might as well sneak in as many little things as I can for my own benefit and maybe for the benefit of some other people along the way. And beyond that, eh. But uh, guess what? In this time, now that Percy has found out that his work matters, he doesn't want to die anymore. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not going to change anything. By the way, you are considered one of the greatest artists of your (laughs) lifetime. A what? A what? I, I I just imagine that. Imagine somebody coming up to you and telling you that the thing, one thing that you do will impact the world in a huge way. Like, how much will that fuck your brain? I, I wouldn't know how to handle it. Like, man, I just, I, I can't imagine like somebody coming up to me and being like, wow, you're going to be one of the greatest bodybuilders who ever lived and i'm just gonna be like i'm i'm sorry what you're you're talking to a fat guy right now what also i'd be like uh so does this mean that i have to change everything or change nothing i need more instructions can i can i do you have like a picture of me in the future so i know what i'm working towards or i just have to go on faith that what you say is true yeah yeah it's wild but uh, so Casper tries to pluck up the courage to kill Percy and way off in the distance, we hear a familiar voice shouting, do it, shoot him. But he can't. So when I first saw this, the theater's sound mix was so good um, that the stereo effect, I thought somebody in the audience was shouting that out. Wow. I didn't realize it was the film. Yeah. That's cool. Good sound mixing. Mm-hmm. Well, now we cut to Doris, who is at therapy discussing, again, the the Spanish colonization. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fuck those guys. And yeah, like like you were saying earlier, we, we really start to get this idea that she is alone. She is from the future. Mm-hmm. She has been set here to basically be a gatekeeper to the past. To make sure no... She is, if you will, a time cop. Yeah, she's a time cop. Kegel-faced time cop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she suddenly gets a text with a name and coordinates for Percy. Well, Holly's sitting down, going through a bunch of scratches with Alana, and Alana being very incredulous about Casper and his motivations. She's just like, I... I don't know why you're still doing this. You don't know anything about this guy. And he just gives you info on winning lottery tickets. Like, eh. You're putting yourself at risk for a white man. Yep. And uh, this is where she goes on about her giant network of bookies and and gambling things and credit cards and lesbians all work. I'm, I'm sure she has the lesbians for more than just work. But, uh, you know, good for her. Mixing business and pleasure. Mm-hmm. It's the same way it's never exactly stated, like, what the cause is that Alana's trying to get her back in for. No, no, that that's never the point, right? The cause could yeah. be any number of great causes that we all <laughs> want done, right? 
uh, she lays down that trying to change the world got her nothing. And this is finally something that she is both good at and she's getting back from. Mm-hmm. When she gets a call from Casper to come meet him at an address. So, turns out the address is Percy's place, where Casper has kidnapped him in an effort to convince him to die. (laughs) But that's the thing. Casper is so uh, nervous and doesn't want to actually shoot him himself. Yeah, so he's trying to convince... He doesn't want to use any violence, really. (laughs) He's trying to convince Percy to kill himself. Mm -hmm. Uh... Yeah, Holly rightfully freaks out. She tells him she's, like, it's all building, right? She's freaked out because Betty died and he predicted it, which he's upset about. He's like, well, you didn't deliver the letter on time. And now the radicalization machine in her brain is starting to pick up speed. She wants to start making a better world. And he is against that idea. The whole point was to keep time on track, not make waves. He explains the reason that he works with her is because she has no significance upon the timeline. She doesn't matter. And I cannot imagine a more soul-crushing sentence being said at anyone. Oof. Fuck. What? Huh. Casper suddenly gets a text from Chuck saying that he needs him there. Meanwhile, Percy has found a landline and gets a call from Doris, who sets something up with him, but is interrupted when he's taken by Holly and Casper to Casper's bunker. Turns out, Chuck has dug up a bunch of Casper's shit, and Doris is here. Looking cunt. She looks great. Her outfits are amazing. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's wearing this, like, turtleneck, all-black number with this long, sort of uh, dangly necklace that's almost like a, a 20s flapper From the thing. Tilda Swinton House of Fashion. Oh, my God. She, yeah. is, she is so, like, like bureaucrat Tilda Swinton in this. Well, she ties him up and beats him up in, in his bunker with Holly and Chuck and Percy watching. Doris asks him about the plan he's been working on, the plan he keeps leaving in messages. And threatens to dust Holly. And he finally breaks and explains that there is no plan. He was just a bored dude in the future who went back in time to preserve some knowledge and experience the old world. Yeah, he's been presenting himself as some sort of, uh, not exactly genius, but somebody with a cohesive idea of what's going on. When in fact he's just Fry who fell into the... uh, freezing machine yeah he that you would have thought that he was an agent of something or he was part of a bigger scheme mm-hmm. but really he is just like holly just like percy he was just a dude who was tired of being nothing and decided to do something something that would at least make him feel good and traveling back in time to a period of where he knows these kind of things he figured why the fuck not? I um I really love the aesthetics of this third act when they're all in the bunker together and all of these storylines congeal, if you will. Yeah, it's it's real good. I love I love this one location shooting, and they really use this location to great effect. Doris is very pissed off about this as she 
learns that her job for the last few months has been a wild goose chase over a bored dude making shit up as he goes. <laughs> so this is where Doris explains her role. She was sent back in time to make sure idiots like him didn't also come back in time and muck things up for the super rich who have been escaping the future into the past to live a life of luxury before the world falls apart in an event called The Convergence. So she dusts Chuck. Bye, Chuck. R.I.P. Um, this is when we start to learn about because this is this is part of the fun of the movie is that you never see the future um except in basically some news flashes of horrible climate change events all happening at the same time as economic unrest and political instability it's literally every single thing that keeps you up at night all yeah. happening at once it's a whole bunch of bad shit happened at the exact same time and the world was so wildly unprepared for it that it collapsed and billions of people died. So they have a sort of stable world now. It's just that it took billions of people to die to get there. Yeah. And of course, the super rich still live on top and get to do whatever the fuck they want, which includes traveling back in time to a period where they aren't in a post-apocalypse and living out their days in luxury in like a Spanish castle hunting people for sport. No joke. Yeah. Apparently somebody is doing that. <laughs> so Doris is pissed off because this whole series of events has been basically over nothing. She explains that there are only about 120 people on Earth who could actually affect the future in any meaningful way. So dusting everyone in this room is probably the best answer. When suddenly there's a knock on the door. And a I fucking love... Guys, if you have not watched this movie and you seem interested at all, please stop now. Stop now. Stop now. Yeah. Uh... Because this is when I start to clap my hands like a toddler. A deep kiwi voice asks <laughs> from behind the bunker door, stasis or static? To which she answers, the moment is mine, allowing the mystery person to come down safely. Turns out it's Casper, but he's, oh, what? he's older now and he tries to kick her ass. However, it's a time loop, baby. However, he's older now, and he doesn't quite kick her ass. She, <laughs> she does him instead. However, in this time, he did manage to knock the duster out of Doris's hand. Holly picks it up and dusts Doris. R.I.P. Doris. Such a great feeling. It's one of those things where you're like, I am sort of morally objecting to violence in film and how good it feels but when holly dusts doris you're like yes it's of of everybody in that room who could have done it it feels best coming from holly because you're like mm -hmm. you know what girl you need a win <laughs> like <laughs> i i know you've been winning but you need a win mm-hmm mm -hmm. so uh Percy uses this time of confusion to escape and just before old Casper wakes up and uh, manages to explain to everyone, hey, 
we have to kill Percy. (laughs) And that he's part of the reason the convergence happens. So Holly goes after Percy while old Casper sits down with current Casper to explain what just happened. So we kind of do this sort of flashback fash sideways thing. It's a flashback for old Casper, but it's a sideways for uh, time travel. Wibbly wobbly. Mm -hmm. Originally, Doris did dust Holly, which allowed Percy to off Doris with a bonk to the head. Very comical bonk to the head. (laughs) I, I I love that. And Percy then kept Casper hostage in the bunker for years, fashioning himself into a revolutionary hero to try and stop the Convergence, which may have accidentally created it in the first place. So Casper manages to escape, managed to escape, find the first portal to ever show up and use it to go further back in time, but accidentally overshot where he originally landed and went two years into the past further so in order to wait out that time he super led a life of luxury more drugs more booze more fucking yeah he 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 meant to use this time to prepare but he accidentally partied too hard just just blew most of the time (laughs) it's so good yeah, he asks, like, oh, is it Sunday? And the guy's like, no, man, it's Monday. And he goes, oh, shit. And you've got to be picturing all of this with Reese Darby in, like, an Einstein fright wig. <laughs> so while waiting for the current plot to catch up, he manages to get to the rooftop where original him tried to kill Percy. And that's where the voice calling out from the distance, do it, shoot him, was actually future past him trying to help him time travel wibbly wobbly right and then we get this incredible one take shot of both caspers talking to each other they're sitting on lawn chairs facing each other and the camera does this awesome move where first it's focused on our current casper pulls back and then circles the room as old Casper gets up to do something, like he grabs something from a shelf mm-hmm. and then sits back down with current Casper still talking with him. This shot is so well done. I was just like, oh, bravo. Like you could have easily just done the like, oh, we'll shoot Reese over here and then we'll shoot Reese over there and we'll just cut back and forth and people will believe in there in the same room. But he went the extra mile and was like, I want to do one nice technical take of both versions of this character in one shot, moving about and talking with each other. This movie was shot in 18 days. Shut the fuck up. They only had Restarby for 15 of them. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's incredible. Wow. That's so good. That's so good. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, bravo. Bravo. So, Casper, old Casper explains that he was the one who called Doris earlier in an effort to, because what originally happened was that they did meet up at the bunker and they kept Percy alive in the bunker for several years before Doris found them. But old Casper decided to speed the timeline up a little bit by giving her the location, where to meet, and that's why all this stuff is happening right here, 
right now. All these plots are happening at the exact same time, which is great because we do not have time for that. (laughs) (laughs) And he just says, yep, big mushy blob of reality just congealed right over all those little details and we are back on track. So that's why he needs Holly to go kill Percy. And he's also called the cops on Holly so that she gets arrested. (laughs) He keeps saying she will get arrested. And I'm sitting there going, no, she absolutely will not. She is a black queer woman who may have just killed a white man with a gun. My God, you are a naive prick sometimes. Yep. And uh, he's just like, yeah. It's, it's great. All the loose ends are tied up except for one. And that loose end is now there's two of us and there can only be one of us. Well, while we were talking, I did a little vote in my head and I voted for me to die. <laughs> so, uh, huh, goodbye. He puts the gun in his mouth and blows his brains out. And it's so, it's so violent and comes out of nowhere. And, it's, and the rest of this movie has not been violent at all. It is also the chillest level of violence, too. Like, he just, he's so, there's no crying, there's no tears, there's no hesitation. It's just very matter-of-fact, like, well, I gotta die. Goodbye now. Kaboom. Also, like, I I did a vote in my head, (laughs) and I voted against myself. Yeah. Uh, It's it's very funny. Thank God it's a very funny scene because it would also be wildly upsetting if it wasn't pulled off so well. Especially since we then cut to our Casper screaming in horror. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Reese Darby makes this work. Yeah. Yeah. Um, real quick, I, uh, <laughs> I know that there was originally a different actor scheduled to play this movie, uh, to play this part who dropped out and Restar became in like very, very last minute. Mm. Um, and it's one of those things like, number one, I don't know how Luke dealt with it because I would have been like burned the planet down. <laughs> Been like, fine, fine, this is so fine. Um, but also that he works so well in this movie. Yeah, do we do we know who the original actor was going to be, or is that more like... Oh. No, and I didn't ask. Okay, that's fair. Understandable. You know, what may have been, may have he... been, but we got this instead. So Casper manages to escape. He climbs out the bunker and finds Holly just talking with Percy out by the road. Like, it's she. She has convinced him, like... Hey, I, I don't think you need to die, but, you know, you will need to lay low just to keep time back on track and you know, all, all that good stuff. And, uh, you know what? In fact, we're going to try and work to, to change the timeline for the better. Billions of people do not need to die needlessly. And she's radicalized now. She's all for it. She's like, you know what? Fuck this. Yeah, I did my life of luxury bit. And that was fun. That was nice. But uh, the world needs to change. And I'm going to do it because if I don't, I can't expect somebody else to. She's Martha Jones going out to walk the world. Hell yeah, Martha Jones. So uh, Percy drives off, promising not to do anything. And Holly and Casper escape into the woods before the cops show up. Several more months later, Percy is at a book signing for his new book that has accurately predicted future events through the medium of political cartoons that he now draws with his little dude. 
Holly confronts him. And uh, essentially, she takes everything that he stole from Doris's condo that tells him about the future. And she's like, cool, you won't be needing any of this. And he's like, quite frankly, I don't want any of this anymore. Like, this is, this is too much for me to handle. And uh, yeah, he washes his hands of the events and they part ways. Back at the bunker, Casper and Holly ring in the new year, just as we are tonight. Time oh, step. yeah. Yeah. Spooky. And uh, they talk about how Holly is now on a crusade of sorts to change the future for the better. Casper is going to lead a quiet life of leisure. And uh, Holly, using the massive network of <laughs> of bookies and lesbians that she's built, <laughs> is going out into the world to save it from itself. Which is... Uh, it's dope, right? She gets a call from Alana, and Alana's wearing a red beret, and you're like, oh, she has militarized her network <laughs> now. Fuck yeah. I love that you, I love that a beret is such a good signifier of that. It it just is. Like you see a red beret on someone and you're like, I know exactly what's going down. Black beret, French mime. Red beret, <laughs> military shit. <laughs> it's funny because I bought a red beret. I was literally trying it on yesterday, and I was like, this doesn't look the same as in the store. I don't look like a winsome little French girl. Is it a raspberry I guess I beret? look like a militant lesbian. Did, did you get it from a secondhand store? That's the exact same joke my mother made when I told her about it. Yeah, yeah, it's a great Prince song. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, uh, as Casper is listening to some music, he gets a knock on the bunker door and someone on the other side asking stasis or static to which he replies the moment is mine and before he opens the door he grabs the duster before confronting them the end i really enjoy this movie i i end this movie every time number one smiling because it's quite funny and number two with a palpable sense of relief which is fucking rare yeah yeah for a movie that starts so like fun and happy and then very quickly turns itself dour and pessimistic about the future manages in the last like in in the last act basically to take the reins of that pessimism and say okay all right, we're all feeling pretty bad right now. Cool. Fucking do something about it. I think it's interesting that you say that it's dour and pessimistic, and it very much is in its content, but it never feels like the movie itself no. is... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, has accepted this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a very important distinction to make, right? It's like... The movie as a whole isn't a bummer. Like, even at its most, you know, quote-unquote pessimistic points, it's still a fun movie to watch. You're enjoying the goings-on. You like the characters. You like what's happening. You don't mm -hmm. feel like, oh, I don't want this scene to go on any longer kind of feelings. So, yeah, I, I think that's uh, that's some real masterful storytelling that's happening from such a... a fresh new person onto the filmmaking scene right we shall watch his career with much interest much interest <laughs> yeah i like this film i do 
Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. No, no, no. It's there's there's no doubt in my mind that this is an enjoyable watch. I think this is the right kind of attitude for for now as well. You know, we we need these kind of movies, right? It's it's nice to have feel good movies, but it's also nice to have movies that kind of kick you in the ass and say, "All right, yeah, I get it. You're feeling kind of <laughs> shitty. Time to get up and do something." So we're both uh pretty much very positive on this, but we got to ask the big question. Sam, mm-hmm. relax, first of all. Okay, yeah, mm-hmm, done. Uh, is Relax, I'm from the Future Camp? As a whole, no. Uh, I, I think front, front to end, no. I think the character of Casper is quite camp. <laughs> Just this ineffectual time traveler who's kind of making it up as he goes along because he didn't prepare himself enough i think that's quite camp and having such a stone-faced bitch of a an antagonist i won't say villain but just antagonist is she she is camp as well she is a wonderfully camp kind of villain all right, even the moment where she has to uh, she has to do her future meditation because she's just so upset. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's quite camp. But I think the film as a whole is not camp because it is it's sincere. It knows exactly what it's doing. It knows exactly the story and the messaging that it's trying to send. And that message is is radicalization. It's the do something it's the get up and and change things kind of attitude how about yourself i'm gonna disagree with you on casper being camp i don't find him terribly so i think doris absolutely is she is like a stern older lady who wears bold jewelry of course we're gonna like her yeah oh yeah we love her um i think the comparison to everything everywhere is really apt um because that movie also gets even sillier than this but ends with this feeling of uh that you can do it that you can change your life if you want to that even though it may seem so humdrum and workaday there there are cathedrals for the eyes to see mm-hmm. i don't think this movie is camp um but obviously if you've listened this far i do think that all of our campers should watch it yeah, yeah, I, it's it's a it's a pretty hearty recommendation from the both of us. Just you know, go out there, get yourself a little bit radicalized. Find find something that you feel passionate about. Also, this is a good movie to watch with your family if they don't mind swearing. Uh, watch it with your family; everybody will enjoy it. Yeah, unless you've got that weird relative who's like, the second time travel comes up in something, my brain starts to hurt. At which point, skip that person because. Ah, uh, yeah. Sam, I'm right here. No, you, you've watched so much Doctor Who. I know you're fine. Yeah, I'm just like, uh, I let my body uh, do what it wants to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're Just listen to your body, man. That's how time travel works. Yeah, yeah. You know, our, our bodies naturally produce uh, time travel uh, <laughs> stuff. Why would you try to get it from anywhere else? <laughs> Oh god, this is the worst fucking guy we've invented. <laughs> the the uh, naturopathic time traveler. 
Yeah, I time travel through Reiki. So thank you for joining us today on our exploration of Relax, I'm from the Future. Please subscribe on your podcaster of choice, leave a star rating and review where you can, because it always helps us to find new people who may not know what their camp favorite is. Yes. And next week, we're going to be going back into a theme month because, you know, we love theme month. What month is it? It's so romantic. It's so romantic. It's it's romance month. Ooh. Ooh. Ah. ah. And we're going to be starting it off with a banger with The Witches of Eastwick. I saw this movie with you in university, and I don't believe I've seen it since. What? I'm sorry. <laughs> this is... I. I, I think this may have been the first R-rated film I ever watched. Really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's it's one of those... My mom had it on VHS forever, and finally, like, I, I, I've i always been super into movies about witches and stuff. So, like, I asked, can I watch this? And she figured, eh, why not? That's fine. There's not a lot of swears in it, which is always the one thing that hangs my mom up on things. She's just like, oh, there better not be swears. People's heads can explode and you can see dicks and butts all you want. But if there's swears, <laughs> like, okay. And yeah, it turns out uh, I, I watched this very erotic polycule film <laughs> starring Jack Nicholson. In the 70s and 80s, people were convinced that Jack Nicholson was the sexiest man to ever live. And this movie kind of makes the argument that he is. And <laughs> oddly enough, uh, it kind of works. This is this is going to be um, uh, what's-his-face in Cutthroat Island again. Oh, oh, uh, Frank Langella? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, may, maybe it might, but we are also bringing back uh, old old favorite actresses, Cher, Susan Sarandon, and Michelle Pfeiffer. Because you know what, <laughs> we just need to talk about three incredible actresses for seven hours. It'll be the longest episode we've done to date. I'm pretty sure. Sam, we are we are so we've just reached this point in our thirties where we're like, you know what, I love a woman in our fifties. Yeah. <laughs> why not i love these women they are sexy they are gorgeous michelle pfeiffer is quite young in this actually but that's that's fine but yeah it's um it's a formative film to say the least and uh, i guess we'll see if it's camp but until that point you our audience our our campers can continue our discussion on our twitter our blue sky and Instagram at all of the same handles. I am at Reese Indigo, R H Y S, spelled the Welsh way. And I am at Sour Citrus Lady. You can follow the pod on at Is It Camp Pod. Um, I want to say thank you again to Luke Higginson for his time with us. Uh, thank I really you. Thank you. It. Our episodes are edited by Warren Fry. Until next week, wait an hour before swimming, watch out for snakes, and stay camp. Bye. Static or stasis? The moment is mine. Oh, oh, thank God I don't have to dust you. Or do <laughs> I?